Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we are finishing up the 2017 Thrawn Trilogy, the first of the Disney canon trilogy of Thrawn books that are not well named in terms of distinguishing them, but with Thrawn treachery. Once again, not committing treachery, but continuing to be loyal as a guest and co-host is Danielle of Written in the Star Wars. Danielle, how are we feeling today? I'm feeling great. I can't believe we're already at the end of the 2017 trilogy. I'm very excited Mm -hmm. to talk about it. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about um, – I think today we're going to kind of divide it up. We're going to talk about the book itself and then maybe kind of talk uh, a little bit wider lens about you know what this whole trilogy has told us about Thrawn. I think he's a character who people are showing a lot of interest in. Um, you know, There's obviously a TV show that's appearing right now that we're not talking about mm-hmm. because it's struck, but that a lot of people are watching in which we know he is uh, slated to appear at some point. Um and so I think it's just a really good time to be digging into these books and, and, and starting to compare the different versions of Thrawn. And I will definitely have you back once the strike ends so we can have more of a conversation of, okay, we have Rebels Thrawn and we have Novels Thrawn. And how does that compare to TV Thrawn? Mm-hmm. Let's start by just going into this. This is the last of the Thrawn trilogy, Thrawn Treason. What's your feeling on this book? I I was confused for a lot of it because – our, our boy Timothy Zahn loves a space battle scene, and mm-hmm. he writes them magnificently, but very complicated. And yeah. I, the whole half the time, um, I was like, "Some Thrawn will explain it to me. Thrawn will explain it to me later. I'm just gonna mm-hmm. keep going." I did not understand most of it while I was reading it, yeah. and that was probably one of my criticisms: was that while well, I think that it is really interesting and once it was explained to me it was really cool I, I i felt like some of it i was just like kind of just going along with it and just not truly taking in yeah. a lot of it and um another thing is that like some of those space battle scenes don't happen when thrawn is in the picture and so he can't explain it to you and you have right. to you, you know you're looking through at it through the eyes of of eli who is kind of, you know, getting up there to to where, like, the level of Thrawn's mm-hmm. thinking, not quite as good. Um, probably nowhere near really, but compared to everyone else, closer. <laughs> uh, even that, it's still, I still was like, I have no idea what just happened. I'm just going to hope that I yeah. understand it and that it all comes together. Um, but I I do, I did thoroughly enjoy Thrawn's explanations of yeah, stuff. Definitely. Like, that was one of the, some of the best written stuff I've ever read. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think I really enjoy this book. I think it is my least favorite of the Mm. three. And I think what you brought up is one part of it. And it's something I've noticed a lot in Star Wars novels, but that I think mostly Thrawn has avoided. But this one, it really kind of came to a head, which is if I'm reading an independent book, then all I have to go on is what I'm imagining in my head based on the descriptions. Mm Mm-hmm. If I'm reading a book that's completely about known characters and even more importantly, known ships and a known universe, then okay, if you tell me that this X-Wing did this and this Star Destroyer did this, then I can picture it, you know, and some of the characters are new, but, you know, I can still picture how they fit this overall universe. Because, and we'll get to the plot summary in a second, I promise, but because in this book, a lot of the battles are between the, you know, the Empire ships on the one hand and then these two different alien groups, the Chiss have their ships and the Grisk have their ships. 
And I, I found it really hard to, to have a picture of those in my mind. Mm. And especially because the um, the Chiss are using some weapons that we haven't heard of before, like these kind of uh, breaching missiles and uh, plasma spheres and things <laughs> like that. I, I thought the battles were very well written. And if I had seen a movie where all these things appear, or if I hadn't ever seen The Empire in a movie, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Mm. But instead, I think, like you, I got confused and I just – you know, it's a problem that they have, and maybe it's just this is the one I hadn't felt it in any of these Thrawn books until now, but this was the one I felt it. Yeah, I think I would agree. Um, I think by the end, I had a clearer picture of what mm-hmm. these unfamiliar things looked like. Um, but you're right; I think it's I think it's hard to be inventing, bringing in something new of your own creation into a book that is kind of it's like it's bookended like you know it's kind of in a corner and you're trying to bring in these new creations and things that he's come timothy zahn has come up with on his own and fit them into an area of star wars that is very crowded and i think Mm -hmm. what that's one of the things i love about the ascendancy trilogy which this isn't a spoiler but is that it carves out a space of the star wars universe for timothy zahn that he's not so cornered into and yeah. he can be more inventive. He can explain those inventions because he doesn't have to share the page with, oh, yeah, by the way, you know this era. So this is what's happening. These are the people that, yeah. you, that you will recognize. And he doesn't have to worry about all of that and any of that in the Ascendancy trilogy. And I think that mm-hmm. really opens him up for his like true strength, which I think is being extremely yeah. creative and inventive um, in the sci- sci-fi universe. I think that's a really good point. I'm, I think to some extent that's a big part of why the High Republic books have also been so popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons. They're great history. They they really explain a lot of things. They're much queerer and much more kind of feminist and like all these great characters and d- diversity uh, as well as being great stories. But I also think that's a part of it, you know, yeah. and like I've talked a lot about some of the books that are about known characters and I do enjoy them. But even I have this problem and I think a lot, there's a lot more so is that, you know, reading a book about Princess Leia – you know, you're like, would she say that? Like, can I hear that in Carrie Fisher's voice? Can I not? Like, how does that work? So yeah, you, you bring your own um, expectations and interpretations of the character. Yeah. Whereas when it's something completely new and and it, its own mm-hmm. its own history that you know nothing about yet, uh, yeah. then you you don't really bring that to the table. I also just as like one more critique of the book, thought there were some plot like it felt. Vi- Trying to think how to say it, like. The book, the trilogy needed an ending, and there are some very good things that happen in this this book mm-hmm. that help to wrap up Thrawn's story, that help to better explain the Empire and the Chiss and all of that. But I think that the length of the battles, as well as there were a couple of plot lines or sort of long divergences where characters were off on their own without Thrawn or without some of the other major characters, that I was just sort of like, I, I don't know what this needs to be here. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I won't talk about that in a bit. Um, but let's go into the book itself. So it is called Thrawn Treason. And obviously that's a word that has been being thrown about, thrown around through this whole time with this question of, is Thrawn loyal to the Empire? Is he loyal to the Chiss? Is he loyal to both? Is he committing treason against one or the other? And in this particular book, the, the name treason and, – and in this, I'm, I want to summarize it, but I'm also assuming you've either read the first two or have listened to our summaries of the first two. Uh, if not, I'd say definitely check those out or the Wikipedia page, as I should say, Wookiepedia page. We'll definitely have all that for you. 
But anyway, the, the, the theme of treason is a really big one because it's about is Thrawn being treasonous? Uh, Eli Vanto, who at the end of the first book had gone off to join the Chiss, as you said, we get to see him and see how well he's doing. But there are some in the Chiss who believe that he is treasonous, that he's a spy for the Empire. Most people in the Empire think that he committed treason by leaving the Empire to go work with the Chiss. And by most technical definitions, they're absolutely correct, even though we know kind of had good reasons and, and all the rest of this, the Empire may have approved. And then also there's the storyline that is kind of the, the MacGuffin of the whole thing, which is that people are stealing supplies that are supposed to go to Project Stardust, which of course we know is the Death Star. But it's fun to talk about it as Stardust because Rogue One – I love Rogue One. I don't know if Danielle's ever talked about it much. Um, check out her content on TikTok. She loves Rogue One and has very grudgingly gotten me to accept that there might be some romance between uh, – uh, I loved that it didn't be a romance because it was so refreshing, but that that's a whole other story. <laughs> anyway, cutting off that tangent. And I think it's important to understand that this book takes place at a very specific time. It takes place pretty directly after uh, book two, where, you know, in that book, uh, Thrawn and Vader had gone off and had all these adventures trying to, and learning that the Gris are a real threat, especially to the Chiss, but possibly also to the Empire and the kind of power that they have. And that... Uh, it's it's still clearly in the time between season three and season four because it's going to end with Thrawn going back to Lothal to finally deal with the rebels who defeated him at the end of season three, and it's still kind of his defeat there is still kind of hanging over him. So the Emperor calls back. Um, no, I'm sorry. Um, and so this time though, instead of the Empire, uh, instead of the Emperor, it's Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin is bringing people together. And he's bringing people, uh, three people together. Uh, Director Krennic, who again we know from Rogue One, the person who's currently running the Star Wars project. Sorry, the the person who's currently running the Death Star project. Grand Admiral Thrawn, and Grand Admiral is it Savick? Is that how you say his name? Yes, I believe so. Okay, which will always throw me because I think that's Spock's father. But <laughs> putting that aside, and the reason is that there's a problem with. The building of the Death Star, namely that, as we learned in earlier books, you know, and this is the kind of fun thing that these books can do is really go into kind of some of the minutiae and think about this is a huge project and it's a very secret project. And like, just think about all the material that has to be brought together to build the Death Star, to build the Death Star. So there are these numerous supply lines that are going out there. And in one particular area, the supply in an area where uh, supplies are being transferred from ships to other ships, because only some very small amount of ships are allowed to know where the Death Star is, where Project Stardust is, even the name Death Star isn't supposed to be used. Uh, and at this transfer point, Gralocks are attacking all the time. And Gralocks, we learn, are a cousin to Minox, which if you remember are the things from Empire Strikes Back that uh, feed on power cables. And these are particularly bad because apparently they're screwing up something with the hyperdrive. And so what happens is the ships try to make a hyperspace jump, but they have no navigation and they're just lost entirely. And Thrawn is brought in to see if he can fix them, um, see if he can fix this. He wants to have some of the funding for Stardust be redirected to his TIE Defenders project. Which is a big, if you've seen Rebels, is a big thing that he's trying to get built on Lothal. And basically it works out that a bet is made between him and Director Krennic, 
with Grand Admiral Savick as there to kind of administer and decide along with Thrawn, uh, along with Tarkin. And the bet is, can he take, can he fix the, the Gralok problem in a week? And, but the, the specific wording of it is, can he get rid of the Gralocks, which is going to be important because people play word games in this universe, which <laughs> I did roll my eyes at a bit, but we'll get to it. <laughs> Um, and sorry, this is too long already. I'll, I'll, I'll try and speed this up. So, so basically, he goes on a series of adventures, uh, and, and during which he finds out that it's not that the Growlocks are kind of just a pawn, that someone is, is actively stealing these ships, and they're using the Growlocks to kind of like cover, so it's not clear they're stealing the ships. He's trying to track this down, and in so doing, he finds that the, so in, in some ways, he's basically solved half of the problem. 25% away into the book. But he does learn that the Griss, the enemy that's been established in book two, are are finding out about all this and are learning secrets of the Empire, including possibly the secret of where the of where Project Stardust is, and that this could be utterly disastrous because the Griss have a real ability to kind of like turn people to them. And that that's not really explained in a way that I found a little frustrating, but um it, it's not like a force power, it's just kind of that they're very good at manipulation, I think. And like learning all your secrets and using them against you, which sounds very force-like, but isn't the force. Um, but anyway, so – and during all this, Eli Vanto has come back. Eli Vanto is working with the um, Chiss. And basically when Thrawn tries to intercept the Griss who are stealing the transports, they they run afoul of the Chiss Ascendancy folks under Admiral Aralani and where Eli Vanto is who have also been tra- tracking the Griss. It's lots of adventures. They wind up uh, figuring out that um, the the they wind up figuring out that the reason why all this is happening is because the the parts are being stolen and that the uh, the people who are stealing the the parts are using using some like weird piping and and uh, uh, chemistry stuff to make those ships look more appe- uh, appealing to the Growlocks so that then they get attacked and then they can be stolen and. At this point, the plot kind of breaks up into a couple of different stories. For a while, we think that uh, the governor of the of a particular planet where all this is happening, the governor of the sector where all this is happening, that she might be the person who's stealing. Eventually, it's actually revealed that it's Grand Admiral Savick who's doing all the stealing. And by the end of the book, we have Thrawn kind of has a battle with Savick, but but completely wins the battle while he's on Savick's ship with Commodore Pharaoh doing all the directing, and it's all through Thrawn's brilliance. And meanwhile, um, under Arlani and Eli Vanto, a second battle happens between the Chiss and the Griss, again through their brilliance, uh, and with some help from Thrawn, and a, a few help from Defender pilots, but mostly not the Empire. The Griss are also destroyed. Everyone lives happily ever after, <laughs> except that at the end, uh, both Arlani is like, Thrawn, you need to come back. The 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 Chiss ascendancy may be falling into civil war soon, and we need you. And then at the very end, uh, we also learn that the Emperor is very concerned about uh, him, and does he have split allegiances, and that he wants him to defeat the Emp- the rebels on Lothal, and then come back for a very long talk. And so uh, we learn that the Purgles did kind of get thrown out of hot water in that regard. Also, as a last thing. We do learn that technically he did not win the bet because, as Director Krennic points out, the bet wasn't to fix the problem. It was to kill all the Gralocks. 
And Tarkin kind of goes along with this, and Thrawn kind of goes along with this, and my eyes rolled really far back in my head. But fair enough, that's the way it all ended up. <laughs> uh, did I miss anything big? I don't think so. That's, yeah, that's pretty complete. Yeah. So, given, as you just said, it was pretty complete, I'm going to bring up my other frustration, and then we can talk about all the good parts of the book, <laughs> because there is a whole other section, like multiple chapters, where <laughs> Ronan, <laughs> uh, Eli Vanto goes off with this guy, Rowan, who is an interesting character and is the person who was like uh, um, Krennic second in command. And he's, he just looks down on everyone. He thinks Krennic is the best person in the world. He thinks the Emperor is stupid. Like, a lot of his critiques make a lot of sense. But he's incredibly arrogant, incredibly condescending. He refuses to talk to Eli because Eli's a traitor. And the two of them go off and have this, like, multiple chapter adventure trying to figure out what's happening on the planet of the, the governor who might be stealing stuff. And they get kidnapped by pirates and, like, traded. And then uh, an ISB agent saves them. And... It was mildly interesting, and we got a little bit more about Eli and a little more about Rowan, but especially my second time reading through the book, I felt like it was mostly unnecessary and kind of felt like filler. What did you think? Um, I think some parts of it did feel a little bit that way, but I loved, I loved Rowan. Mm-hmm. Is his name Rowan or Ronan? It's Rowan. It's Rowan. Rowan. Yeah. Um, he was so annoying. I called mm-hmm. him... Um, I call him uh, Krennic's, Krennic's little little biatch um, because yeah. he is he is uh, he he wants to be Krennic so badly um, or no no he would view that as an offense he just wants to worship Krennic very mm-hmm. badly um, and it is is so funny he's like Krennic's little mini me uh, with his own little cape and everything mm-hmm. and I thought that he was hilarious and yeah. I enjoyed. I enjoyed seeing kind of like the complexities of his character more mm-hmm. and how he went from being a really just like annoying sidekick to or like little lackey for for yeah. Krennic to actually he does not like the emperor. And mm-hmm. but the reason he doesn't like the emperor is because he doesn't think that he's like efficient to lead the empire. And yeah. I think that that mm-hmm. is really interesting, um, an interesting perspective that isn't really explored a lot in yeah. Star Wars. It's just assumed that everyone who is imperial loves the emperor and and, you know, uh, is at his beck and call and wants like by, voluntarily and like willingly. Right. Um, but like that wasn't the case. There are people who love the empire who did not like the emperor, and I think that yeah. falls into more of like maybe seeing people think that Thrawn is a better leader or um, someone else would be a better leader of the empire. Mm-hmm. Still, the empire, but just better led. And yeah. and so I liked that perspective of him. And it is my hope that because he goes with. Eli and the Chiz at the end. One day we will get an Eli Vanto trilogy <laughs> that I takes place that. after after the events mm-hmm. of this trilogy. I would love that, and yeah, I, I definitely agree that I think he's a great character. And I, I want to talk more about his character. I just think that you could have given us the the, the the his character and Eli Vanto's character without creating this side quest that in the end, kind of didn't mean anything. Yeah, I can understand why they needed them to go and do what they did and the result that they got from it. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it could have been shorter. Yeah. It, it could have been, could been. been a lot shorter. Uh, there was a whole, like, fight that happened that I was like, I don't even know what's happening right now either. Yeah. Um, again, you see a little bit of, like, how much we come to rely on Thrawn explaining everything. Uh, when he's not mm-hmm. there, it gets kind of difficult to follow along. Um, yeah. But... But yeah, I, I agree. It could have been a shorter quest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will say one cool thing, one moment where I really cheered for Ronan uh, is that Rowan is that throughout the book, which was kind of nice because it never really got called out, but I kind of appreciated this. Throughout the book, he makes they make fun of Krennic for wearing a cape all the time. And they think it's kind of an affectation and it's stupid. And I guess Darth Vader does it, but like Krennic does it. And Rowan also does it. And they definitely make fun of it for him. And at sort of a pivotal moment of the the final battle where the other Grand Admiral is like holding a blaster on them, like he takes off his robe and throws it in the guy's <laughs> face. And I was just like, okay, so clearly that was Chekhov's robe and we didn't realize it, but the robe got to do something cool. Okay, I like that. That's what I mean. He was the comic relief of the story. I appreciate yeah. it. I went from being like, oh, I hate this guy to, okay, he's funny. Mm-hmm. He can stick around. <laughs> and, I, and I definitely do agree with you that there's something really powerful about that story. And in the books that take place after Return of the Jedi, and this was both in the original Thrawn trilogy, so it makes sense that Zahn is going back to it, but also in a lot of the other books that we, and I think even a little bit in The Mandalorian and some other shows like that, we do meet some of the military folks who have a similar idea. They're like, oh, the Emperor was, the Emperor and Vader were too emotional and too like wrapped up in their own mystical goals. They screwed everything up. But of course, they're saying it afterwards. Hmm. And I love what you're saying of we don't often see the perspective of of a person like this. And I think the book also tells us why. Yeah. Because one of the things that they say is the part of why he goes off with the Chiss is Vader is coming to sort of start overseeing final construction of the Death Star. And as Thrawn points out to him, Vader will sense his feelings. Vader will be able to basically read his mind and know how he feels about the Emperor. And that's enough to get him killed. Mm-hmm. And... The fact that Thrawn knows that and it's like not surprising to the other guy, to to Rowan at all, tells me that probably there have been some others who weren't very good at locking those feelings very, very far away and got killed because of it. Yeah, I agree. (coughs) And when it comes to like the Emperor not being sufficient enough to run the Empire um, productively, Mm -hmm. which I think is the case – not to say that I wish someone more efficient would have been running the Empire, yeah. but um, I think that this book also plays really heavily into that from a, like a military perspective as well. Like I've said um, in our other two discussions about the other books, uh, Thrawn, like it, it's continuously commented upon how Thrawn is a very efficient leader and mm-hmm. um, he's someone that people look up to and that people want to emulate and, and that they respect. And, in this book especially is when we learn a lot more about the TIE Defenders and why Thrawn Mm -hmm. wants them and the fact that they're put up against for funding against the, uh, the Death Star and Thrawn states very clearly the Death Star isn't an efficient military weapon because Mm -hmm. once it, once it's destroyed, like that's your entire weapon is destroyed. Right. And then you have to start over from scratch and if you invest in the tie defenders, you have hundreds, if not thousands, of these weapons. One gets destroyed, great, we can go and make another one like that. And right. we have meanwhile, we have thousands of others that you can use. And and they're 
arguably more powerful than the Death Star across a wider margin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you don't have to just have it in one place. You can have them spread out across the galaxy. And, and you see in that like a, a very a, a thinking that is like keyed into longevity. And the Death Star wasn't, I think, keyed into longevity. It was what can be the, the most brutal weapon that will get me results like now. Or immediately, right. rather than the tie defenders are kind of like you know they 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 they're not gonna they're not gonna get someone to reveal the right. location of a rebel base you know <laughs> even if it is a even if it is a lie, um, but the Death Star is and yeah, yeah. I think it's a really good demonstration of the Sith versus the military in that the military wants to win the war, mm-hmm. the Sith want to terrify people so much that the war has never started. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think it's that Thrawn has a better understanding of human nature, of, of sentient nature. Yeah. You know, because they all think that destroying Alderaan, that no one's ever going to rebel again, when in reality, it just means more people rebel. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been a constant throughout history. And I think it, it's in- so interesting to think about. I made a TikTok about this, about what would have happened if the funding had been diverted to the TIE Defenders and right. work had stopped on the Death Star. And and instead we get these very powerful machines that, as we see in both Rebels and this book, are near impossible to defeat. Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that the Rebels would have stood a chance against Tie Defenders, and yeah. at least not the individual cells the way that we see. I mean, if you watch most of the like big Tie Fighter versus X Wing and Y Wing and A Wing battles, mm-hmm. it's the fact that the X Wings have shields and the Tie def- the tie fighters are basically made of like the crumple zones mm-hmm. that are make up your bumper of your car. Like you breathe on them and they blow up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I, I think it's definitely true there. Let's talk about Thrawn himself. And I want to start with this question. Is he committing treason? Is Thrawn, is Thrawn as he claims, truly 100% loyal to both the Empire and the Chiss? Is he abandoning his responsibility to the Chiss to help the Empire? Is he helping the Empire, but also occasionally claiming that something is for the good of the Empire when really it's much more for the good of the Chiss? What do you think? I think that if it were anyone else, Vader would have been like, it's treason, you're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think Thrawn is is very good. And he has that history with Vader, as, no matter how much Anakin wants to forget he has that history with him. And and so there's a little bit, I think, of trust there that yeah. that maybe Vader doesn't fully trust him, but he trusts that he has his reasons for trying to, like, bullshit his way out of treason, <laughs> out, of it, out yep. of it being treason. And I think that's very important, is that maybe he realizes that Loyalty is incredibly important to Thrawn, and he swore his loyalty to the Empire, and mm. that he would maybe do everything he could up until there was nothing more he could do to support the Empire, and maybe that's why it got like it got kind of brushed aside until the very end. But I mean, on page, that's it's treason from an Imperial perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
there's a way in which there's something actually I was going to say about Rowan that I think actually is true about both of them in that I think both of them believe that they're 100% doing the right thing. Yeah. I think Rowan, like, we've talked before about the difference between, like, people doing horrible things for what they believe are good reasons versus people who are just doing horrible things for malevolent, you know, I'm greedy, I'm selfish, I'm what I want, yeah. ultimate power, whatever it is. And the line between those can get blurry, and I don't think that the second – that the those who are doing evil things for good reasons are any morally pure. I mean, the, at the end, what matters is the thing you did. But I definitely think that, like – you know, where someone like the Emperor, he doesn't give a damn about what's good for the galaxy. He wants the power. I think Rowan genuinely believes that the Empire is better for the for the galaxy than the Civil War, what the, the, the Clone Wars were, or than even the Republic with all of its corruption was. Mm-hmm. And I think I think in the end he's absolutely wrong, uh, especially given that it's fascism that's being used to enforce all this. But I think he has a point. I don't think he's a complete idiot for feeling that way. Yeah. And I and I think more than anything, I think what a lot of people in those situations are able to do, they're able to justify it to themselves. They're able to convince themselves that they're doing this for the right reasons. I think to some extent Thrawn is so smart and so good at logic like logically understanding things that he kind of does it to himself as well, in a much <laughs> smaller way. But what I mean is that I think I don't think he looks at the Gris and says I am loyal to the Empire. We have to stop them because they are loyal to the Empire. They're a threat to the Empire. Mm -hmm. I think he looks at them and goes, I came here, my original plan and my plan all along has been to help the Chiss. You know, at one point he says to Arlani in a really beautiful line, you know, loyalty is one thing, but my heart is another. Mm -hmm. And and I will always be Chiss. My my heart will always be with the Chiss. And... To me, like I said, I I don't think he looks at the the Gris and says, "Oh, this is so terrible for the Empire." I think he looks at them and goes, "Oh, this is so terrible for the Chiss, but I can't do anything." Yeah. Oh, but wait, if they do this and then they do this and then they do this and then they do this, <laughs> oh, they would be a threat to the Empire. Oh, okay, I can do it because I'm loyal to the like. I think he makes himself believe it, and I think they are a threat. I don't think they're as much as a threat as he said, as he claims they are. And I like I think it is primarily his loyalty to Chiss that that drives him. But there's a lot of both there. Yeah. I was looking up um, my notes from the book because there's – I'm pretty sure there's a part where Rowan is confronted with what the Death Star could do or something mm-hmm. similar. And he's like, oh, I, I don't want to think about that. Like, he yeah. prefers not to see that. And mm-hmm. – and um, oh, and do you know what? I'm so sorry, but it is Ronan. Okay, you got it wrong the whole time. It's Ronan. <laughs> no, I could. I genuinely couldn't remember. I was like, well, maybe it is Rowan. Um, I can't find it right now, but I, I'm pretty sure there's a part where he is like something really gross or, or not gross, but like horrible happens, and he's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just just gonna ignore that. Just not gonna not gonna pay attention. And I'm yep. like, son. <laughs> the thing you are helping to build is about to do a whole lot worse than that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and so it is that thing of just kind of like convincing yourself that, like you said, that that you you genuinely believe that what you're doing is is the best way. And right. and as far as like Thrawn goes, I think a hundred percent he he is a genius, but all geniuses have their have their Achilles heels, and yeah. and I feel like. His is not turning the 
the kind of like not not having introspection to himself like he can see very clearly why other people are doing what they're doing and 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 figure it out but when it comes to turning that in he's maybe not as as keen Mm -hmm. as as he is otherwise yeah i definitely agree with that um just a side note there in terms of thrawn's abilities though we do get the uh that his quality with art goes even further because music is a form of art mm-hmm. and there's a little explanation about why the music someone listens to doesn't help him but the music someone creates does and Savak is a composer <laughs> I, I, by this point I'm getting a little eye rolly with that power but I, I think it's a fun like way to explain in two paragraphs what would otherwise take 20 pages mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm fine with it kind of as a shortcut yeah I liked I liked the way that Okay, so one character we've not talked about yet is uh, Karen mm-hmm. Farrow or Faro. Um, mm-hmm. I absolutely love her. I am obsessed with her. I yep. need to know so much more about her because she didn't go with Thrawn to the fall, so she survives. I need to know what happened to her. Um, comic book, anything, please give it to me. Um, but uh, just to add a quick clarification. So in earlier books, we talked about how they were on a Star Destroyer and that there was a, a, a commander of that Star Destroyer. I think, I think that's how they originally met her. She was in command mm-hmm. of them. Uh, but then eventually he gets to become – when he by the time he becomes Grand Admiral, he's now uh, – he's the Admiral of the fleet and she is the captain of the Star Destroyer. That's his flagship. Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And, and she's definitely grown a lot over the books. Yeah. Sorry, go on though now. Um. And thank you because I forgot to explain who she was. Um, but she, like, the way that he has this this last big battle against Savick, um, is one of my favorite parts of the book because it goes back and forth between him explaining to Savick what's happening and uh, Faro, uh, you know, uh, executing his instructions, but also adding a bit of her own and. I loved this because you see her fully trusting, even if she has like a little bit of questions, Thrawn's intuition, but also trusting mm-hmm. her own because Thrawn has taught her to trust her own intuition. He, yeah. it's, it's like he doesn't ask her just to trust his. He wanted to build her up so that she could trust hers as well. And that just plays in so much to the efficient leader, great teacher, that he is mm-hmm. and and how much respect she has for him. And I just, I love that. That that was my favorite part specifically because of that, because it felt like we finally like Faro's character evolution and character arc felt like it came to a full circle in that moment Yeah, from where we first see her in, um, I think alliances is when we first meet her. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just, I love that. It was really good. And it, it paralleled what had happened with Eli Vanto a bit, especially in terms of, like her being delayed a promotion and then she later finds out it's because Thrawn wants her to get a much bigger, much better promotion. Mm-hmm. And it's especially like he had already put in for it, but especially it's her actions in that battle where they get to a moment where she thinks what Thrawn had predicted is no longer quite holding up because it's just been a long battle. And so, and as you said, she takes her own action and, and he really admires her for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it did mean that I felt like the me- the mentorship between the two of them became the focus. And so we got almost nothing between Thrawn and Vanto, mm-hmm. which made me kind of sad and also made me like, come on, they're, they're best <laughs> bros and by some people a lot more. Like, like, give us, like, I got to the end of the book and I was like, oh, right, Thrawn never does, like, have a, like, last conversation with Vanto. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is nice that he has that all with uh, 
with her with her. Yeah. It's interesting and I wonder I wonder what what Zahn's like ideas with that were because I could see it very much being that like once Thrawn has made a decision, he's made a decision mm-hmm. and he made the decision to send Eli to the Chiz. And he wasn't going to to like go back on that. He wasn't gonna yeah. and I think any any more detail of their you know, whatever their relationship might be, would have risked kind of like it would have needed a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it needed it would need to be in a different space than the space we were given in this book. Yeah. And and so I can understand why instead that mentorship went to Karen Faro. Yeah. Um, because you you need that in his fleet already. Um, with someone, cause like Eli's not going to captain a ship. <laughs> like he's not, I love him, but his talents, his talents are not that, um, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in that moment and, or in, at that time. And so his talents lie elsewhere and yeah, yeah, but we'll see. Well, especially because I had kind of a similar view to it, but a little bit different part of what I thought is that what's illustrating is that Thrawn doesn't really understand friendship. He understands mm-hmm. relationships. <clears throat> particularly mentorships, and Eli's done. Eli's graduated. Yeah. Eli doesn't need him anymore. And I think his thought is like, I he's happy to see Eli. He, I think, is is happy to see that Eli is starting to prosper. He he also gets a well-deserved um, uh, promotion by the end of this book. And, and he learns that the work he's been doing isn't busy work, but it's actually incredibly important and utilizes those skills at data tracking that, that were identified in book one. But you know, for, I think Thrawn's one of the, like, and this again is a very Sherlock Holmes thing, as we talked about in book one, you know, one of the things I think of, especially in the, the Cumberbatch version, but you see it in others, is Sherlock has no time for pleasantries because he doesn't understand them. Mm. Why would I ask someone how, they, how they're doing? Because I don't care what the answer is. They're never going to give a real answer anyway, so, so why bother? And why don't I spend my time more efficiently? And I think that's kind of Thrawn here, is like, Having a sort of like reconnecting, oh, I'm so glad to see you're doing well. I'm still so proud of you. That's all emotional. Yeah. And he doesn't have time for that. It's just you're doing well. Good. Let me focus on on the people who need mentoring now because you don't anymore because you're, you're good. Well, and when I think about the way he acts around who I would consider to be the person he first considers to be his friend, which is Arlani, mm-hmm. um, his friend in a way that he understands it. Is that there are like you're right there are no there aren't any pleasantries there. There's mm-hmm. this is what we need to do, and the way that I think the way that Th- Thrawn's substitution for pleasantries is sharing what he cares about with people or what yeah. what he likes <clears throat> with people, and in a in a very um, structured way, not in a very like oh I love this don't you love this way, um, and and so with Arlani we find out you know. Later, he does he does similar things, but with Eli, he shared his love of art or his understanding of art with him. Mm-hmm. He shared his um, military strategy with him and the way that he approaches things. He shared his his journal with him, his ideas yeah. about the galaxy and about what makes a warrior. And I think that is friendship to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wouldn't put <clears throat> the same term to it, <laughs> yeah. but that it, he he has shared with Eli everything that makes him him in the same way that right. he shared that with Arlani, and um, as we see later on. Um, but 
yeah. And so I think, I think that you're right. There is a, like, he's like, it's done. Like I've, I've shared everything I can Mm -hmm. share with you. There's nothing more I can give. So you're just going to keep doing what I sent you off to do. And I'm just going to keep doing (laughs) what I need to do. And I love that you brought up Aravani because I do think that's a really important point because, and this is something that actually makes sense to me. You know, one of the things that's always very difficult, and um, uh, the book uh, Brotherhood actually does a great job of explaining this, is shifting from a relationship between like teacher and student or master and apprentice to a relationship of peers. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I think the way Thrawn treats Arlani, you're right, it's not quite friendship, but it's somewhat close. But to me, it's mostly, it's the first person we've met who he treats as a peer. Yeah. Who, he doesn't see her as someone he needs to mentor. He doesn't see himself as someone she needs to mentor. He sees her as someone who he can speak to on that kind of equal level. Mm-hmm. And I I do think it's significant that he has felt that towards, I, actually, I would say he felt it towards Anakin and, and somewhat towards Vader. Well, he, he felt like he had to teach Anakin some things. He somewhat feels it towards <laughs> Vader, but that's a very emotionally wrought and very uh, dangerous relationship. But I think it's interesting that it's only with a chist that he has the sense of like, I, I can open myself up a little more in a way that I wouldn't necessarily to someone who I'm mentoring. Yeah. And I think it is also maybe because like we don't ever see anyone who's who's acted as a mentor to him until the Ascendancy mm-hmm. trilogy. And and then I think his and Aralani's relationship makes interactions in treason make a little bit more sense there um, because yeah. we see their history. And, and, and so I think it's maybe a combination of his specific history with her and mm-hmm. how she maybe – she had a mentor role in his life and, um, and also his comfortability with his own people – when he's been away from them for so long, I'm sure that there's a, yeah. you know, you spend your time amongst people who are nothing like you and, um, or at least, you know, not in, in, you know, familiar ways. And, yeah. and then you are, you finally get to see your people again after 20 odd years of not seeing them. Then yeah. I imagine that also would bring out a little bit more of a, um, you know, a, a relaxed interaction. Yeah. Well, especially with the added benefit of it, going back to that loyalty question of, a lot of what he most cares about is the chess mm-hmm. and how they're doing and wanting to know what's happening on Homeworld and all this. And I think there's some extent to which even with someone like Eli, you know, he is worried. I think with a lot of others, he might be like, I don't want to give them information they can use against me. With someone like Eli, it's maybe more like I don't want to burden him. Yeah. But there's that definite sense of like he can't talk about how he feels about the chess with an on chess. Mm-hmm. And there's something he says at the end when he sends Ronan off with Arlani. Um I think I feel like it's it's something like uh, do do you remember what I told you when I sent Eli mm-hmm. with you, which is that sometimes like it's best to keep like your potential enemies closer, mm-hmm. so that you can feed them the information that you want your enemy to have. Um, right. Which they don't view Eli that way anymore, I assume. Um, but that's how they. I think Arlani says that that's how she treated Eli in the beginning. Um, and yeah. then the more trust he gained from her and the rest of the chiz, uh, the more she backed away from that and was kind of like, okay, I'll mm-hmm. treat you more as a, as, as someone a, genuinely a part of mm-hmm. my military and not just an outsider. Um, and so I think that's interesting too, is that there is, there will always yeah. be that level of, of, um, of, um, mistrust or, you know, between, between them and, and humans, I think. Mm-hmm. There's also a, it reminds me of a meme that's been going around a lot 
it basically talks about how for people who are neurodivergent, autistic, or whatever it is, that often there can be very little concept of like relationship deterioration over time. Uh, I know I've definitely experienced this is that there are people who I may not speak to for two years and then like there's some reason for us to start talking and it, it isn't it isn't like, oh, my God, I, I have to catch up with you or oh, my God, we haven't talked in two years. You must not care about me anymore. It's just like, oh, yeah, now we're talking again and everything feels like it's just the same. And I definitely get the sense that Thrawn would be like that as well. But for Thrawn, it's not a sense of, oh, I need to make time to connect with Eli in order to sort of preserve the strength of our relationship. You know, he it's like he says this beautiful thing at the end of book one about how you can get to that level of friendship where you can watch the other person go off and do their own journey and wish them well and that it might be pleasant for your journeys to cross again, but they might not. And that's okay. And I think that that's definitely Thrawn. He doesn't, I don't think it's him saying like, Eli, I don't care about you anymore. It's that, oh, well, we just didn't wind up on the same ship. So we didn't get to have a, a, a good conversation and maybe we will some other time. Yeah. I think he definitely views life as like snapshots of that time. You know what I mean? Like it just because like you said, he was friends with Eli at this time. Them being away and not seeing each other doesn't lessen it, doesn't add to it. It just yeah. is what it is. And and when they're when they're with each other again, it's like you said, easy easy to jump back in. You know, actually, as we're talking, another thing just occurred to me, and maybe I'm making this up, or maybe all this is a part of it. Two things that are mentioned in this book. One is that a lot of the Chiss still don't trust Eli or keeping him at a distance because he's you know human. He's from the Empire. And then at the same time, many of those same Chiss don't know whether to trust Thrawn because he has gone off to be the Empire. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if maybe Thrawn is in – in like Thrawn does this thing where he does nice things for people but never says that he's doing them. Yeah. And so they don't realize it and can sometimes misunderstand it, <laughs> um, which Eli has definitely done, as does Faro, for very understandable reasons. And so I wonder if it's also he's like – if I sort of like put my arm around Vonto and like remind everyone of how close we were and that Vonto is my guy back with the Chiss, that that might actually further it, it, that the best way for Eli to better integrate himself into the Chiss is to not be constantly reminded everyone that he's so close to Thrawn. Yeah. And I think also on the flip side of that, um, maybe not give any of the Imperials who are doubting him any more fuel um, oh, yeah. Because there, when he comes back, one of the big <clears throat> things between him and Ronan is that Ronan is very much like, you are a traitor to the Empire. Um, and, like, if we brought you back to Coruscant, you'd be done. To Eli. To Eli. Eli yeah. yeah. And Ronan says this to Eli. And um, and so I think there is, there is a sense there of, of Eli no longer fully belongs to the Empire, if he ever really did. Mm. He's already an outsider. Um, right. But he also doesn't belong fully to the Chiz. Arguably, he belongs a little bit more to the Chiz now than he does um, yeah. to the Empire. And I think that that is just a really interesting and why we need his own book series. Yeah. No, because you're right. Because if if Thrawn like, invites Eli back to, to his ship to like, you know, have, some, have a drink and talk... People are going to wonder, like, why haven't you arrested this traitor for desertion? Mm-hmm. Because that's what he is uh, to them. I mean, Thrawn claims otherwise, but is that her? Yeah. I also want to address one reason that I think a lot of people think they don't connect that I, I don't think is here. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is how you feel about it. Because one of the sort of, you know, things that a lot of people leapt onto after book one, I think for completely legitimate reasons, is uh, seeing a romance between Vonto and Eli. And... 
Part of that, I mean, comes originally from the source material. Um, it's not quite Kirk Spock, but Sherlock <laughs> Watson is a very, very popular fanfic <laughs> and has been long before AO3 got started or LiveJournal, um, way back in like, you know, 60s, 70s, whatever. And when like a lot of the, the Trek fic was first getting written. Uh, yes, people did write it by hand long ago. This is a thing. Um, <laughs> and, and I think like I think there's a definite way to read it as those two. I think that's a topic that I have a lot of complicated feelings on because I think we should be sh- – like shipping is great and I love people shipping and I, I love the like, you know, put more gayness into our stories. I think that's fantastic. I think there's something a little bit – toxic about thinking that anytime two masculine people are friends that they must be in a relationship and in some ways that's actually kind of reinforcing some of the worst parts of homophobia <laughs> um so i always kind of want to be like it doesn't have to be that necessarily but but i certainly think it's very possible and i think i don't begrudge anyone who ships these two but i do rem- i do know that when book three came out and there was nothing of that and there was like almost no contact between them there were a lot of people saying like oh it's because they got so much pushback and Zahn wanted to say like, look, no, 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 he's, that's not a thing. And that's why he has a female mentee this time. Uh, they give Eli a person to flirt with. And that was used a lot. Um, or just like that. Maybe the publishers didn't want it. Given what else star Wars has been doing with the star Wars novels, especially around the time. I just, I, maybe it's true. And if you know, we hear more proof of it, I'll certainly believe it. I, I just have trouble believing that. I think as we just said, there's a lot of reasons why it, you know, they might not have gotten together. And given who Thrawn is, even if there was a romantic and or sexual side to his relationship with Eli, I think he would have had to say, I don't think he would have occurred to him of like, oh, I haven't seen this guy in a while. He's my former lover. We have to reconnect. It would just be all the same reasons we just gave, I think would still be the case. Yeah. I think people put a lot of pressure on those relationships to be um, overtly romantic Mm-hmm. Because of a, a very long-held and understandable desire to see that reflected in Star Wars. Um, and I under, I understand that on a level. But I yeah. also I also don't. And I think it's fun to, to joke about Thrawn and Eli and, mm-hmm. and you know, Thronto. It's a fun ship name. It's fun, fun stories to read. But also respect that I don't think that that was ever where the story was going to go. Yeah. And I, from my own reading of it even with the first book, even though there were some things where I was like, I think I have a note somewhere in the first book that I was like, did Timothy Zahn know that this is basically the plot of a romance novel <laughs> or like, <laughs> you know, or of a rom-com or something, um, or like the meet cute of a rom-com or whatever, um, mm-hmm. that I never thought, actually thought that it was going to go any further than that. Yeah. Not because I, I was like, well, yeah, the publishers are going to come in and say that they can't have that or Timothy Zahn's not going to want that. But because it just didn't read that way to me, not yeah. not as a whole. And and I think in the in the third book, I was looking at my quotes again. There's a part where um, like it it's brought up that Eli is is shocked at how distant Thrawn is from him mm-hmm. and. And that, that's that's a subplot of the book, is Eli feeling like he wants approval from Thrawn. He wants Thrawn to tell him how good of a job he's done or that he that right. he didn't send him over there for nothing. And and so it's not like it was just completely ignored. It's yeah. not like it was like, oh, that 
closeness you you thought you read in book one that wasn't actually there no it's it's confronted and it's brought up that Eli did feel a closeness to him and and um an affinity for him in whatever way that might be it's never yeah. uh, specifically said but um it's not ignored and yeah and I think if they wanted to just brush it off then it would have been ignored or it would have been made to be like less of something and but I, I don't think it is I think that it's it's very it's very much Eli's feelings are important in this. Yeah. They're not ignored. No, I think it's a really good point because I think that can also further emphasizes that, yeah, it may well have been romance or it may have been one-sided romance mm-hmm. or anything like that because, like, in many ways, I think if you did give me in this book a, like, romanceness or flirting or something like that between Thrawn and Arlani, it probably would have bothered me a lot, mm-hmm. but not because of a like, no, he's supposed to be with Eli, like why you're making him straight, but because like, I don't know if I would describe him as ace or a romantic or any of those things mm-hmm. in a like his makeup or it's just his, his focus on his duty shows him no time for it. But yeah. I think it's very clear that he has no interest in that. Yeah. Like he is just not, um, and I think part of that's the friendship thing, but he just he, like he's he's not lonely mm-hmm. at any point. He has his work, he has his art, he has, you know. And so, yeah, as I said, like you know, maybe he's ace, maybe he's arrow, or maybe he's just you know, uh, those terms don't quite fit. But but in a similar way, that's just not what he's doing right now. Yeah, and it and that's okay. It's like the more I've I've read a, a read of him in the canon books, the more it is that like it's not. And I don't say this as a like, oh, Thrawn doesn't know how to do a relationship. I just don't think he wants one, like you said. I think yeah. I think that is not his priority in life. And I I do think that I, I feel like he would view it as a burden. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. That's how someone feels. It just means that they shouldn't be <laughs> in a relationship because you don't want that for the other party. You don't want them right. to to have genuine feelings for this person and then that person to to care about them in their own way but also more often than not view them as a burden or a weakness and that's not right. to say that Thrawn doesn't care about people or or love them i think we see very clearly especially in the ascendancy trilogy how much he cares about certain people especially those he considers himself close to um but it's just in a different way and in a way that yeah. that isn't going to look like your typical romance or isn't going to look like your typical love and and i think that i think that timothy zahn did quite a well quite a good way of showing that in these books yeah i very much agree I very much agree. especially because and i i have not yet read all the ascendancy books though depending on how much longer the strike comes that may well be a trilogy that danielle and i explore <laughs> as well uh we'll do some other stuff in the middle for sure but you know it, it in these books, at least, we know nothing about how family structures work in the Chiss Ascendancy. You know, they may have concepts of romance or sexuality or, you know, how children are created. You know, that is fundamentally different to ours. We just don't know. So, yeah, yeah a lot to happen there. <laughs> well, Danielle, as always, this has been a fantastic conversation. Any of the last things you want to say about this book? Um... I don't think so. I think we covered it all. I uh, just want to reiterate my love for Karen Faro, and mm-hmm. I would greatly appreciate if uh, Lucasfilm Publishing decided to to get on it with something for her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's they keep giving us these great imperial characters, and it's that kind of like, in the same way that it's like, okay, you're giving all us the, the, all these young Jedi. 
did, did Kylo Ren just kill all of them? Like, what happened to them? In the same way, you keep giving us these noble em- empire people. And there has to be a feeling of, like, either they got killed or they defected, I hope. Mm-hmm. Because if you tell me that they stayed in the empire after Alderaan, I, you know, it's going to make me really question a lot of things. Yeah. And, like, I think the book Lost Stars did a great job of exploring that. But, you know, it's 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 a hard thing to wrestle with. So... Well, we'll definitely have Danielle on more. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, Thrawn and the Emperor in our bonus section for members. Uh, if you're not a member, of course, you can easily become one. All the information is in the show notes or on our website. Uh, it's $5 a month or, or $50 for the whole year. Save Or maybe $55 for the whole year. It's one of those two. You can save a little money that way. But you get ad-free content. You get bonus content. You get a way to support the podcast. Uh, we're still sending 25% of all the money that's raised from the podcast to the strike funds. So it's a great way to help. And of course, all the show notes uh, for the show you can find. Um, all the show notes you can find in the show notes. It's been a long day, folks. Uh, <laughs> but you can find how to contact us. We love feedback. Love talking about this stuff. Um, uh, especially because I realized we just talked about the book. We didn't talk about the overall trilogy. So that's another episode we'll have to do. <laughs> um, but Danielle, if people want to hear more, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on TikTok at Written in the Star Wars, Twitter at DannyS394, and Instagram at Written in the SW. One day they will all be the same, but it's not that day. It is not today. I got the quote wrong. No. Anyway. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> one day, one day, one day. All right. Well, we'll do our member section just for a second. For everybody else, thank you so much for listening. We have spoken. <laughs>